Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with insightful Bible teaching by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. This week we travel to Greece and Ephesus as we continue our journey in the footsteps of the rabbi from Tarsus. We're so glad you've joined us today. I am David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. And I am Jeffrey Seif, and I am taking away to a faraway place. I was thrilled to travel around the Mediterranean world. I just can't believe I was there following in Paul's footsteps. What a place to go. I mean, well, how many times have we been? About four or five times uh -huh. in the Aegean Sea, in that area, to Greece, following the footsteps of Paul. We get to lead people there, and you were right. teaching there. It's like, wow. When, when we get back from letting our folks swim in the Mediterranean, they are in awe of where they're at. So are we, but we love to see our passengers, how excited they well, are. Let's go there through <laughs> the miracle of television. Right, right now, let's go to the Aegean Sea with Dr. Seif teaching on location. Paul on many occasions spoke about his journeys and particularly he noted that he was marooned on islands, shipwrecked and the like. And here we are on the Aegean Sea right now making our way from Ephesus where Paul frequented and then heading over to the Greek mainland. Right now I'm heading to Achaia whereas Paul left these parts and went up to Macedonia, northern Greece and then made his way south on what was his uh, second missionary journey. It's interesting, you might recall Paul left Antioch on the first journey and went by way of Cyprus right into the heartland of what would be modern Turkey, ancient Asia Minor, during which time he established a number of congregations. Well here now, fresh out of his Jerusalem council meeting with Barnabas, he's minded to then make his way back to visit the congregations in Turkey today, Asia Minor of yesterday. He travels overland, he goes to Phrygia, the region where he had ministered before, and everything goes wrong with him this time. It seems that in the first journey, you know, the Lord was opening up all sorts of doors, but in this particular trip, the whole thing went bad. He was a frustrated man. Luke tells us uh, in the 16th chapter of Acts that he's frustrated, that, the, that all doors are prevented from opening, and then he has a vision. Uh, what theologians call the Macedonian call. He's visited by a messenger from Macedonia who says, come and, uh, and help us over here. Paul makes his way west further to Troas where he hops on a boat and he crosses these waters that we're in right now. He's going to make a stretch by sea. Uh, Paul was such an intrepid, bold sort. Right now I can feel the spray washing up against me occasionally as I'm holding on. And there is a re these are reasonably calm waters. Paul traversed these seas in different conditions. What a bold sword, as I'd said. This is a man with dogged determination to tell a story. 
Well, he hits the Greek mainland. He's going to be at, uh, you know, Thessalonica, Apollonia. He's going to make his way south, hugging the eastern uh, seaboard. What's interesting for my money, as much as he had a difficult time in uh, Asia Minor, when he gets to Greece, it's like the whole world opens up for him. He's in Philippi. He's going to meet a woman named Lydia there who's going to, with her household, become converted, and he'll start a church there and a variety of other cities all along the eastern coast. It seems that the Lord is going to give him remarkable favor. Paul, as I'd said, is making his way south along the eastern seaboard. He's going to come to Athens in his second journey where he's going to get a rather cool reception. By sea, by land, made no difference. The man would climb a mountain, he'd traverse a desert. Why? Because Paul was a man on a mission. That they might know him and the power of his resurrection. Matter not how precarious it was. The Hebrew for prophet, Navi, means to bubble forth. There was something within this man that needed to come forth. And so he not only spoke the message, but he spoke it all over the world. Pardon me if I'm stumbling along here, but this is rather precarious up here at Mars Hill in Athens. Sure, Paul's mind, however, wasn't on how precarious it was in Athens. I'm sure he was thrilled to be here. Paul was an interesting character. He was at home in Greek culture, and he was at home in Jewish culture. And here, he found himself some 2,000 years ago in Athens, Athens, Greece, the site of many a place of renown for the Greeks, the Parthenon over yonder hill, temples scattered about, dedicated to various Greek deities. Of course, Paul didn't buy into all of that, but he was comfortable in Greek culture. As comfortable as he was, however, Luke reports that he was discomforted. He came to Athens by way of Thessalonica and he had to leave Thessalonica swiftly. He left and while in Athens he's waiting for the troop to catch up to him. He's, uh, he's buying some time but Luke tells us that he was troubled. For as he meandered about this great city and saw all the shrines to various deities, his heart was stirred up. And Luke tells us in the 17th chapter of Acts that he went into the synagogue and there he reasoned with Jews and Greek worshipers. As I've noted in this series, the synagogues would swell up with women and men of non-Jewish extract who were attracted to things Jewish. And so Paul the apostle to the Gentiles spoke to Gentiles who themselves were half-baked Jews and he explained to them how the Messiah had come, the hope of Israel, and persuaded them accordingly. Well, he does much the same, we're told by Luke in Acts chapter 17. But in addition to that, what's interesting here in Athens is Paul takes the case out of the shul, out of the synagogue, and he goes into the marketplace. And that brings us to now, here, at the famous site of Paul's Mars Hill Sermon. Luke tells us that he traveled about and looking to build a bridge to his hearers roundabout. He said, men of Athens, 
I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And here in Athens, you have an ascription to an unknown God, and that which is unknown to you, I now make known to you. And then Paul preached Jesus. The apostle to the Gentiles spoke to Gentiles, spoke to Jews, spoke to all of you in the interests that folk might come to know him. And so in this second missionary journey, we encounter Paul blazing new trails as he's pressing outward and onward that the world might know Jesus. The book is called Acts of the Apostles. Quite frankly, at one level, I don't even know why. I wish there was a book that dealt with the Acts of the Apostles. Luke's volume begins by talking about the Apostle Peter, but then the focus narrows specifically to giving a look at the movements of the Apostle Paul. Luke begins by underscoring how he was radically converted he had a new disposition with his receiving of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, in the wake of his encounter with Yeshua. And then there's a season of development for the man, and then he embarks on a journey. Commissioned from Antioch, he is to then go forth into the world at large and advocate for the Messiah who he first was given to destroying. Well, trust you know the story. Our story today looks at one of Paul's journeys, the way Luke did, and that journey is his third starts off overland beginning in Antioch and then makes his way into Phrygia, a region in uh, Asia Minor, modern Turkey. And then he makes his way to the coast where we are today in what was then the great city of Ephesus. How magnificent was that city? Oh, its grandeur is uh, evidenced here in the theater of Ephesus, which seated 24,000 individuals. Luke tells us that they convened here once upon a time to consider the growing movement of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of the Messiah Jesus. They didn't just meet here to attend to that business, however. This is, in effect, a killing field. Gladiators hacked it out here, fighting battle royals to get out alive at the end of the day. Why? To entertain frenzied masses that had blood on their mind. Well. Uh, Paul's company was in here. They had blood on their mind too, but it was the blood of Jesus that was shed for you mankind. This was a new religious vision for the, uh, the Ephesians. Here in this city, uh, various deities are represented. Isis is represented with a temple down the street. There's different kinds of deities, all of which are eclipsed by the cult of Artemis known as Diana. Now what happens is there were individuals that plied a trade by manufacturing accoutrements that were used in her adoration. And Luke tells us as the gospel penetrates into this culture, individuals are given to abandoning the cult with a net result that those individuals that carved out a livelihood by selling paraphernalia dedicated to Artemis, uh, they start losing money, their economic interests, uh, and one of those principal uh, religious merchants uh, is particularly chagrined. And what does he do? Well, he causes an uproar, causes a fuss. Uh, and the whole city is up in arms, according to Luke. And the net result is that there is, in effect, a riot. What I want to do is take you to the 19th chapter of Acts. 
where Paul's third missionary journey is uh, recounted. And what's particularly interesting about this journey, let me just look at it broadly and then narrow the field. While Paul's journey is told, really the focus of it is what was transacted here at Ephesus. The journey picks up in 1823 where Luke notes that they departed. And then in 19, Paul uh, comes to Ephesus where we are right now. And uh, what happens is we're told in verse 8 that he goes into the synagogue and speaks boldly for three months. Again, Paul was a member of the Parushim, a religious leader. They respected him as such. He's advocating for new religious ideas, but still he's retained within the system. The net result is that individuals are going to become persuaded. In fact, we're told as much that he reasoned and persuaded concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Uh, Rav Shaul, this apostle Paul, believed that the Mashiach had come, the Messiah had come, and his name was Jesus, and he advocated for that. We're told, in addition to his reasoning prowess in verse 11, that God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. So Paul commends his message by virtue of his being able to appeal to the scriptures. In conjunction with that, the message is corroborated by signs and wonders. And this commends what Paul is trying to say to those that would have perhaps ears to hear. Luke goes on to then underscore that there were some Jewish exorcists that were given to uh, expunging demons and Paul and them get kind of sideways. And Paul shows that the God working through Paul is greater than all of that and there's something of a fuss. And with Paul's supremacy over those Jewish leaders, we're told those Jewish exorcists, we're told in verse 17 that this became known to all Judeans and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, that is, dwelling right here. People knew that something was happening. There's this inbreaking of the kingdom of God, signs and wonders, good Bible teaching. Paul's making inroads. And we're told that fear or respect came upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, that uh, the Jesus movement was growing here. We're told as well in verse 19, and here's where the trouble begins that lands us in this place some 2,000 years ago. We're told that many of those who had practiced these old arts brought their books and paraphernalia and they burned them all. And there was the total value of the occultic uh, paraphernalia that was burnt according to the text was 50,000 pieces of silver. And then he goes on to note there's a silversmith that particularly is given over to angst because of all of this, the loss of business. And, and he creates quite a stir. We're told in 24, Demetrius, a silversmith, came and he made silver shrines to Diana or Artemis, same personality there. And uh, again, Artemis worship was pristine here in Ephesus. The Ephesians prided themselves in her, among other deities. There's all sorts here, but Artemis particularly. Well, what happens is, again, this person that's given to manufacturing accoutrements of that system calls together the workers of a similar occupation in verse 25 and then begins to, you know, vent hot invective against Paul and, and those that advocate. And the net result is that a riot ensues. It's fascinating, frankly. There's swelling discontent. Now, this attests to the fact that Paul, he didn't just uh, have a little Bible study at the periphery of the culture. He engaged it. 
and you can see momentum going. In fact, there's a little hyperbole here. They cry foul. They say, this troublemaker in all of Asia, he stirred people up all over, all of Asia. Well, that's a little overstated, but the point is, is that the movement is growing. It's expanding. The gospel's getting out there. Well, there's a riot that breaks out in this place, and the net result is that uh, the way it's finally uh, tapered is that uh, they say, listen, the courts are open, and what we need to do here is calm this thing down lest we invoke the ires of the fathers of the city, and then the police action is brought to bear in response to it. One of the things that's underscored, and principally what's underscored in Paul's journey here, is the fact that as the gospel went forth, there was tension because Paul engaged the powers that be. He wasn't just a religious philosopher, he was a bold sword, he was, this rabbi. And we'll continue our journey as we study him and follow in the footsteps of the rabbi from Tarsus. Our resource this week, the Grafted In Package, which includes the series Called Together on two DVDs, a Grafted In Necklace, two Stand With Israel koozies, a Grafted In Decal, a Grafted In Pen, our Things To Come bookmark, and the Prophesied Messiah bookmark. Contact us and ask for the Grafted In Package. And thank you for your support. If you're thinking about visiting the Holy Land, come on a Zola tour, where the scriptures come to life as you get teaching from a messianic perspective. Our spring tour goes to Israel and Petra. In the fall, you can add a cruise of Greece and Ephesus. Come to Israel. See the Jewish roots of your faith. Call us at 1-800-WONDERS or click on the levitt.com slash tour info. Paul's journeys took him throughout the Mediterranean region. Here's the good news. We want to bring you good news today. You have that same opportunity. We host two tours a year to Israel, and in the fall, we go to Greece and Ephesus. I remember about 50 years ago, my folks went on that same, they call it Steps of Paul tour. I think a lot has changed since then. A lot hasn't. It's the same. We would love for you to join us on our tour. And the backdrop for today's program and what, what Dr. Seif has been teaching and he will teach throughout the series is centered around the Mediterranean Sea. Your funds, your supporting our Jewish roots has helped us bring teaching from the Holy Land and also from the Mediterranean region. Now, speaking of the Holy Land, let's go to hear Dr. Seif teaching at Caesarea in Israel on the Mediterranean. I'm sure that Paul was in a very serious mood when he set his sights on Jerusalem. In fact, on uh, more than one occasion he was warned that bad things were to come, but he was not to be dissuaded from his task. And what was his task? His task was to uh, make the Lord known and to fulfill his destiny. The Ephesians elders came out and they said, Paul, there's a bad moon rising. He was not to be dissuaded. He set sail for Jerusalem, finishing up his uh, third missionary journey, and he then starts in Caesarea, Caesarea Maritime, which was a major port city. 
It was a Roman home away from home, sporting a grand theater, sporting a Herodian palace. Paul lands there and he spends time not in the palace, he didn't have so many rich friends, but Philip the evangelist took him in. He had daughters that ministered and prophesied and a prophet came who particularly spoke to Paul and said, listen, you will be bound if you go to Jerusalem. Paul has heard that on more than one occasion, but in effect it means nothing to him because he cares about his mission, not about his circumstances. And off to Jerusalem he goes. Luke told us that when Paul went up to Jerusalem that the, quote, brethren received us gladly. But it's what he said after that that's particularly revealing. Luke informed that there was some angst about Paul's presence there. And why is that? Because some of the Jewish brethren in Judea understood Paul to be advocating that Jews round about the world forsake Moses in order to follow Jesus. Now that was not Paul's message. Paul's message was that women and men of non-Jewish extract needn't embrace things Jewish in order to be a good Christian. It wasn't that people of Jewish extract need to forsake things Jewish in order to be a good Christian. Well, they wanted Paul to prove up the point, and so he went into the temple to, to make some vows and to attend to some Jewish business that would then evidence that he was still faithful to the ancestral religion. But when he got there, Luke tells us that some uh, Jewish folk from Asia Minor stirred up the crowd with the net result that something of a riot ensues and Paul's going to wind up getting arrested. It's really going to get heated. And so Paul's going to find himself thrown in a dungeon for a season until they can sort out what to do. There was tension in the air. Luke tells us that they had to sneak him out of town, but not just stealthily, and they did take him out stealthily, but how can they hide hundreds of spearmen and regular infantry, not to mention 70 horses? Goodness, there's a lot of expenditure of military energy just to get him out of town. Why? Because the tension was high in Jerusalem. This criminal, this alleged criminal, is then sent to Caesarea where he will stand before the governor and give an accounting for his misdeeds, his alleged misdeeds. The state presents its case first. Luke here has the state's witnesses speaking. If you look in 24 verse 5, we found this man a plague well, that's not evidence, that's sentiment. We found him a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. That's hyperbole, that's overstatement. But it's not just myth, there's some reality that. He says, and he is a ringleader of this sect of the Nazarenes. He will go on and present his case. Paul will respond in kind and in effect say nonsense. Let me dispel some nonsense. Typically, Jews are construed as saying thumbs down on Jesus in the wake of which 
God is perceived as saying thumbs down on the Jews and let's go with the Gentiles and the Jews having rejected Jesus in toto are then left to the backwaters of God's attention and experience. That is a mythic telling. That is not what happened. When Paul is brought up on charges, the statement is, is that there's division amongst the Jews about the message that Paul is advocating. Paul's talking about Jesus to Jewish people. Some say yay, some say nay, and it's tense. Uh, there's a rift to be sure. When I look at the New Testament, I see a rift amongst Jews. Some Jews weighing in positively, some Jews weighing in negatively, but it's a Jewish story. In fact, the accusation goes on to read that this Paul is a ringleader of this sect of Jewish followers of Jesus. Let me say this forcefully. The rabbi from Tarsus was not an ex-Jew. He was a Jew who believed that the Messiah had come and that his name was Yeshua, and he was bent on advocating for this messianic vision beyond Israel's borders. He was creative, he was innovative, and the upshot of it all is that he invoked some ire. It's not always easy. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Dave, what do you think? Paul, uh, his world kind of unravels a bit here. What, what I see from your teaching, he wasn't alone. He had some help when he was going through these difficult times in his life. Barnabas, different people helping him through. Yeah, thank God for the helps, you know, but uh, uh, he got hurt a lot. Sometimes when you take those blows, you, you take them as an individual, it's nice to have people get behind you. Church work can be like that for say, you, even great people like you. How yes. can we relate to what he went through in his life? Totally people, can, yeah. A lot of people say, well, in church, you know, I've got hurt by people, ministers, music ministers. I was rejected, dejected, uh, rejected. I mean, it just doesn't not happen. Well, right? I, and it's not funny. But it's almost a little humorous that we think we're being so persecuted if someone makes fun of what we wear on Sunday. Right. <gasps> Sister so and said, so, you know, she didn't like my outfit. I'm, we're being so persecuted. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what Paul has been walking through. Yeah. Tough stuff. Well, and there really is a problem with human experience. People are judgmental, and sometimes things deteriorate. That's the bad news. To your husband's point, David, to you, you know, the good news is that there's friends. And speaking to you, our friends, I want to say thank you. We've taken a few uh, road bumps on the highway of life on this television concern. Uh, we've seen some folk come and go. Thank you, those that have stayed with us. Uh, none of us gets through life without getting a few bruises, but it's great to make some friends. Thank you. Thank you. And please, we want your prayers and your shows of care to help us as we carry on, as we follow with Paul on this journey. We're about halfway through, correct? Yes. What's yes. coming up next week? Well, we're looking more at his travels, at his torments, and at his teachings. A lot of teas going on. <laughs> That's good, though. Yes. Looking forward to that. Yes. Come back. Join us next week. We have more on the life of Paul. And until then, Sha'alu, Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. 
Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. This has been a paid program brought to you by Zola Levitt Ministry.